Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Way well, hey, happy Thanksgiving, Lake Point family. And today I am incredibly thankful to be introducing to you the person that is bringing us the word today in our services. Now, this person came and spoke at Lake Point about a year ago, and he is a personal friend. I considered him a long distance mentor. In college, I was downloading this guy's sermons when I was learning to preach. And at this point, honestly, we consider him an extended family member of Lake Point Church. Uh, when he came about a year ago, there was just a unique anointing on his teaching. And uh, people described him with three words, folksy, likable, and biblical. And so Lake Point family, would you please put your hands together for a personal friend, a personal mentor, and an extended family member of Lake Point Church, Pastor Dave Stone. Well, thank you all very much. I love the chance, every, any chance I get to be at Lake Point, I love it. I talk about your church all the time. I don't know if you all realize that, but you got a pretty cool church. And I talk about Pastor Josh and his dynamic preaching and his great leadership and his friendship. And I've been friends with Mike Bro for 35 years. We both live in Kentucky. And uh, between the two of us, we, we know the full alphabet. Uh, <laughs> close to it anyway. But uh, it's an honor to be back with you. Uh, I do love this church, and any chance I can say a good word to just let people know how exciting of a year you all have had. You've had an unbelievable year. I hope you don't take that for granted, but uh, it's been pretty pretty crazy with all the great things that God's doing here. Hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving. Thursday is the day that you are grateful for what you have. It's followed by Black Friday, where you realize you're no longer grateful for what you have and you need more. Uh, I know you're buying that stuff for others. I understand how that works, right? But I have been excited and looking forward to coming back. I heard Mike's message last week, and I just love the fact that he talked about being grateful. He talked about being grateful through the different seasons of life, from the walker to the walker, right? From the birth to the grave. And we are to be grateful in this life. But this week, we want to we want to wrap that up, that two-part series up, by being grateful for the next life. We want to be grateful for, for heaven and what it is that, that God has in store for us. We want to be grateful for eternal life. And so our, our focus today is going to be on the topic of heaven. It was one of the most memorable nights of my life. Through a strange twist of events, I had been invited to play golf at Pebble Beach. That is the pinnacle of golf. It's every golfer's dream. If that wasn't enough, my buddy and I received an invitation for the two of us to attend a private dinner with golfing legend Gary Player. Now, Gary Player is the only golfer to have won both a PGA championship and a senior PGA championship. He's won a total of 165 tournaments, and he's combined for 18 majors. So to say that I was excited would be a massive understatement to sit at the table with greatness. And as long as I live, I will never forget that night. And yet, as exciting as it was to receive that invitation, I have good news for you. 
you have received an even grander invitation to an even greater banquet. And the Bible calls it in Revelation 19, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And it will be held in heaven. And your host is the one who spoke the universe into existence. The one in whose image you were created. The great I am. And you don't have to leave after the meal because if you have committed your life to Jesus, heaven will be your eternal address. Maybe heard about the teenager who got his first job working for a florist making deliveries. And things went pretty well for a while until one day he accidentally switched two different orders. One of them was supposed to go to a funeral home. The other was going to a large church that had outgrown its facilities and was building a larger sanctuary. And he reversed the two orders. And an irate preacher called up the head florist and he said, we got a problem here. So what's the problem? He said, we got this big dedication service that's about to start. And up in the front of our sanctuary is this huge set of flowers that say, rest in peace. <laughs> florist said, you think you got problems? He said, somewhere in this town next to a casket, there's a set of flowers that say, good luck in your new location. Uh -huh. That is how many people approach the afterlife. I, I hope, I hope I get lucky or I've got my fingers crossed. But where you spend eternity will not be decided by luck. Choice, not chance, will determine your eternal destination. And today I am convinced of this. What you believe about eternity will determine how you live today. Now, it's rare to hear a pastor dedicate an entire sermon to heaven or to hell, and yet the Bible only gives us those two options. And as a result of that, we have a culture that just kind of assumes that everybody goes to heaven. And yet Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that that's not the case. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says, Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will find it, and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, and only a few will find it. Uh, that's why I, I hope this message will motivate you as you're listening to think about some people who, who don't know about heaven or who don't have heaven uh, in their future and that you'll invite those people to come to one of the candlelight services. If we, if we look back to God's word and understand that everyone will go to just one of two places, while heaven is being in the presence of God, hell is void of God's presence. And the Bible describes it with words like weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and unquenchable fire. That's a place that I, I don't want to go. It's as if Jesus in all of scripture is waving the caution flag of warning. And someone will say, well, you know, to go to a, a place that horrific must take an awful lot of sin. What type of crime would it take to warrant a place in hell? Reject Jesus Christ. Walk away from his saving grace and you will seal your fate in hell. But heaven was designed for you, for those who accept Jesus Christ. If we really knew what awaits Christians in heaven, it would transform the way we live and it would increase our desire to go there. And yet, there are some Christians who are living as if there's no heaven. And there are non-believers who are living like there's no hell. In, in the Bible, if it was hell was mentioned even one time, we would have to believe that there is a place called hell. But the Bible doesn't mention it one time. It mentions it 54 different times. And Jesus went to some incredible lengths to make certain that you would never see a place called hell. And in front of the entrance to hell, 
His body hangs on a cross. And he says, the only way that you are going in there is over my dead body. And at different junctions in your life, you are brought face to face with the gospel of Christ. And you have to wrestle with, okay, is he the Lord of my life? Is he number one? If you don't hunger for heaven, then you'll be tempted to go after heaven on earth. And I want you to be more excited about heaven than you are frightened about hell. And so today, I just want to give you three familiar, three word phrases to describe what heaven is. Here's the first one. When you think of heaven, I want you to think of home sweet home. You ever been out of town for a few days and you come back, you walk in, you shut the door to your apartment or your condo or your shack or your house, whatever it is that you live in. And it just is like, there's no place like home. Doesn't matter the size of it. It just, it's, it's home. But this home is only temporary because in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible refers to Christians as being strangers and aliens in this world because this world isn't our ultimate hope. But if you're a believer, I guarantee that heaven is a home for every Christian and it was made with you in mind. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verses one and eight. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Verse eight, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Did you see those, those two phrases? An eternal house in heaven and at home with the Lord. Because for Christians, our home is where Christ is. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, I go to prepare a place for you that you may be where I am. And as strange as it might seem, even though you've never been there before, heaven will feel like home because he instilled that desire within you, that longing. And God knows what you will need for it to feel like home for you. Last year, you may have read about the nursing home in the Netherlands that was experiencing the same struggle that occurs in most nursing homes due to the fact that as we age, our, 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 our memory starts to fade. And since all hallways and doors look the same, the common problem is that the residents have a hard time finding their way back to their room. I, I watched this happen with my dad when his dementia uh, just beganing taking over his body. And it was so frustrating to him. So do you know what this nursing home in the Netherlands did? They hired a photographer and they commissioned him to go to the previous home address of each resident. And he took a picture of their front door. And then they had all those pictures enlarged to fill the entire door in each room of all the residents throughout that nursing home in the Netherlands. And the result was that the hallways felt more like neighborhoods and the pictures made it easier for each resident to find their way home. And that's exactly what I want to do in this message. I just want to help you find your way home eternally to paint a biblical accurate picture of what heaven's like. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 for our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ home sweet home and here's the next three word phrase better by far better by far from a prison cell 
The Apostle Paul lays out the benefits of living or dying in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. It says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Heaven is better by far. Trying to describe heaven would be like trying to explain what are the capabilities of an iPhone to someone living in the first century. We couldn't totally explain it, nor could they understand it, no matter how hard we try. So let's try to see how this God of creativity has made heaven. You know, heaven's gotten a bum rap for all sorts of erroneous thoughts, yet nowhere in the Bible does it speak of, of uh, playing the harp or sitting on clouds all day and, and, and for me to be singing, you know? That would be hell, all right? Uh, there's absolutely nothing boring about heaven. How can it be boring if the one who created this earth, who made every animal, who made the mountains, who makes rainbows, how can it be boring if he is there and he has been anticipating your arrival? It is better by far. Well, what's in heaven that makes it better by far? Well, we, we can't look at an exhaustive list of everything, but let's look at several things that make heaven, heaven. First, it's new and improved. Revelation chapter 21 Verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So in the last book of the New Testament, John, one of the disciples is taken on a journey by an angel and John is given a brief peek into heaven to try and help paint that picture for us. He says, it's a new heaven and earth. So this, this earth as we know it will be destroyed and coming down to replace it is the one that God has been preparing for us. Also in heaven, there will be a symbolic wedding. Revelation chapter 21, verse two. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The church is the bride of Christ and we will be united with Christ. Remember earlier, I, I mentioned that you were invited to a much more important dinner or banquet than mine at Pebble Beach? Well, here it is. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. About five years ago, my wife and I were invited to a wedding and it was out of town. It was being recorded to show bits and pieces on, on national TV because the person getting married, it was in a, a real, reality TV show. And so months later, when it came out, my wife and I were, were watching it on TV and you see this packed sanctuary and it shows the bridesmaids walking down the aisle and every head turns to look at them except for mine. You know why? I was watching a college football game on my phone <laughs> and my wife looks, I can't believe you. I cannot believe that you did that. And I'm like, well... It's really not on me, it's on them. They're the ones that scheduled their wedding during a football game, you know? <laughs> it was not one of my finer moments, right? But trust me, when you show up for the wedding feast of the Lamb and you are seated for this dinner with Jesus, no one will be looking at their phone. Well, what else is there? 
Well, the glory of God. Revelation 21, verse 11, I love this. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. And it goes on to say that the foundation of the walls were decorated with every type of precious stone. We can try to picture it, but it must be breathtaking. The Bible says that there is no sun, there is no moon in heaven because God's glory lights all of heaven. The streets are made of pure gold. I want to make certain that you get this. What is of the highest value here on earth will literally be pavement up in heaven. Another reason I look forward to heaven, glorified body. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. Earlier, I mentioned in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says that he will transform our lowly bodies into glorious bodies. It's tough to know exactly what that means. But the older you get, the more exciting that thought becomes. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm excited about heaven. I, I think that we're going to be in our physical prime when we are up there. You know, in, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were created, I don't know how old they were. I, well, here's, here's what we, we know. We know that sin had not entered the world, and yet the Bible tells us that they were naked and not ashamed. So I don't know if they were 22 or 32, but I am very certain that they were not 62, all right? <laughs> I can promise you that. Instant transformation is rather appealing to us. Heaven will also be better by far because it's a place of adventure and discovery. That's what it is. Countless opportunities to learn. The city is described in Revelation 21 as nearly a 1400 mile cube, meaning it goes upwards too. Those dimensions would mean that there are some 2 million square miles. Plenty of places for exploration. Well, what else is in heaven? Work. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Work was part of the original Eden. It was part of a perfect human life prior to sin entering the world. And some of you are like me. You just love to tackle a project or you love to accomplish some task or put in a full day's work. And for all of us, using our God-given gifts, it, it brings us fulfillment. Here's the difference between work here and work there. In heaven, you will enjoy your work. And sometimes here, we don't always enjoy it. You know why? Because it does not utilize one of our top giftings that God has given to us. There, it will be productive and it will be fulfilling to you. But the last thing that, that we'll talk about that heaven gives us are rewards Revelation twenty two twelve, Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. So not only are you in heaven for all eternity, but you will be rewarded. So that tells me we must be ready for Christ's return. And there are always people who, who want to say when Jesus is going to rapture us out or return to take us home. Some of you are like me, you're old enough to remember there was a gentleman by the name of Edgar Wisnett back in September of 1988, 35 years ago. 
He was convinced that he had calculated when Christ was going to return. He even printed a booklet called 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. And many disillusioned followers sold all of their belongings because of his prediction that Jesus would return on September 10th, 11th, or 12th. All you got to do is Google 88 reasons and it'll pop up. At the time, I was working at Cincinnati Christian University. And to say that the student body got a kick out of this would be a mild understatement. We thought it was rather funny that Jesus didn't know when he was going to return, but somehow Edgar did. And so September 10th, 11th, and 12th came and went. No Jesus. I drove onto campus to go to work on the morning of the 13th. And as I walked to my office, I passed a group of students. I said, hey, can you believe it? Jesus didn't return. They said, you didn't hear? And I'm like, what? Did I, you know, did I miss it? They said, no, no. Early this morning, Edgar Wisnett went on national radio and he said he was slightly off in his calculations. Jesus will return between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I said, wow. I said, do the students know about this? They said, everybody was buzzing about it at breakfast. So I went to my office and I thought I can get some work done or I can have some fun with this. Guess which I did. <clears throat> so I called up two college students that played the trumpet. <laughs> I said, would you meet me up at my office at 10 o'clock? <clears throat> I called our maintenance department and I said, you have a long rope or a pulley system, something like that, uh, that I could borrow? Well, sure, Dave, I'll bring it to my office at 10 o'clock, all right? Then I called up the professor of the largest classroom on the second floor of President's Hall and I said, hey, would you do me a favor at the start of your class? Would you say, hey, I'm gonna take attendance at the start of class and also at the end of class just in case anybody gets raptured, right? And I said, just kind of plant that seed in their mind. And then I said, do me one more favor. I said, would you open your side window over there? Oh, sure. Okay. All right, Dave. So 10.15, I am outside that building. I have taken this long rope and I've run it all through my clothing, under my slacks, all the way up through my jacket. I've got two guys up on the side holding on to each side of the rope. And at 10.15, I give the signal to the trumpet players and they point their trumpets up at that window and they start playing. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And the only problem was when I gave the signal to the trumpet players, one of the guys on top thought that that was his cue to start pulling. So the one guy starts pulling thinking that was his cue. So now I'm being raptured sideways, all right? <laughs> And I'm going up the side of the building sideways. I get about six feet up in the air and I'm sideways up there when the other guy thinks he missed his cue. So he starts pulling feverishly at the same time that the other guy lets out the slack. The rapture nearly became the rupture. Um, well, they got me evened out and they're banging me against this wall. I've got my hands up. I've got the 88 reasons the rapture will occur in 1988 in my hand. And as I go sailing past this window, here's about 50 students with their eyes as big as saucers. And I said, I'm coming home, Jesus, I'm coming home. I don't know why they're not coming home, but I'm coming home. They pulled me the rest of the way up. They finally got me over the lip of the roof and laid me down there, and I mean, they were out of breath, pulling up all that dead weight, two and a half stories. Couldn't say anything for a few minutes. Finally, my friend, Jim Stanley, who'd been pulling me, he said, hey, Stone, he said, do you ever think what might have happened if while we were pulling you up, we got raptured and you didn't? <clears throat> 
I said, yes, I did think about that, Jim, and that's why I felt safe in choosing you. <clears throat> yeah. As I recall, Jim did not think it was all that funny. But we should always be skeptical of date setters. We can laugh about that, and I can point out the theological fallacies of Edgar Wiseman's prediction, but be skeptical of date setters because the truth is what Jesus said in Matthew 24, no one knows the day or the hour. Those are Christ's words, so we must be ready. We don't know in our finite minds exactly how an infinite God will unfold that final scene. But there must be a sense of urgency because eternity hangs in the balance. Knowing that he is coming is much more important than knowing when he is coming. And so we're not consumed with anxiety. We are preparing with anticipation. Think of it like this. If you are on your way to hell, then this life is the best it's ever going to be for you. But if you are on your way to heaven, then this life is the worst it's ever going to be for you. Heaven is better by far. Sometimes we can learn more about a place by seeing what isn't there. That's why Revelation 22 verse 3 says, no longer will there be any curse. So there's no curse there. Revelation 21, 27 says, nothing impure will ever enter it. Can you imagine that? And this next sentence alone should be reason enough for you to desire heaven. Revelation 21, 4, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's better by far. Sign me up. I had some pastor friends who have made lists. Uh, we call them no more lists things that are no more going to be plaguing us, things that won't be in heaven. So recently I sat down and I thought, I'm gonna make a list from A to Z of what won't be in heaven. In heaven, there will be no more anxiety, no more addictions, no more amber alerts, no more arthritis, no more bankruptcy, bad breath, bullying, Botox and bruises, no more courtrooms, child abuse, COVID, chemo, cancer, counting of calories, cable news, and no more colonoscopies. No more death, no more disease, no more divorce, no more depression, drunk drivers or dementia, no more ego, no more earthquakes, no more elections, no more fear, no more face mask, foreclosures or funerals, no more gossip or global warming or greed or grief or graveyards. No more hypocrisy or homelessness. No more hip replacements or heart attacks or hostage negotiations. No more heat and humidity. No more injustice or infertility, isolation or incarceration. No more jealousy or junk mail. No more kidnappings, killjoys or kidney stones. No more loneliness, no more legalism. No more long lines for ladies' bathrooms. No more murders, no more mammograms or miscarriages, no more negativity, no more neonatal units, nursing homes, or nuclear war, no more oppression, orphanages, or obituaries, no more prisons, pain, poverty, no more performance reviews, political parties, no more pandemics, no more quitting, no more quarantines, no more root canals, no more reorganizations or regret, racism or road rage, no more raisin cookies disguised as chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Sorry. No more sermons, no more shame, no more starvation, 
No more satanic attacks. No more suicide, sexual assaults, school shootings. No more traffic jams, no more trafficking. No more taxes, tornadoes, tumors, or terrorists. No more tiny caskets. No more unexplained tragedies, unmet needs, unwanted children, unloved spouses, or unbelieving skeptics. No more vaccines or ventilators, violence or viruses. No more wars or waiting rooms, wheelchairs or walkers. No more Xanax. No more yelling from your spouse. No more yelling from your kids. No more yelling from your boss. And no more Zoom calls. No more, no more, no more. And Jesus says, and Jesus says, behold, I have come and I'm making everything new. None of those things will be there, but look who will be there. Revelation 21 verses three and four. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Our God is both a powerful and a personal God. He is powerful enough to sit on a throne and rule an entire universe. Yet, when you arrive in heaven, he is personal enough to wipe away every one of your tears. Look with me at one more passage and I'll tell you the final three word phrase to describe heaven. Revelation 22, verses three and four. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face. When you think of heaven, I want you to think of home sweet home, better by far and face to face. What makes heaven heaven isn't so much what's there and what isn't there, but it's who's there. And the answer is Jesus. He is the host of the wedding feast of the lamb. And seeing him face to face is the culmination of all of life, all of human existence. No one has ever seen the face of God. But if you put your trust in him and committed your life to him, you will see him at that dinner face to face. Heaven is exhilarating. It's refreshing. It's fulfilling. Everything that is good here will be perfect there. Everything that is bad here will be absent there. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I, I can only imagine. I had a wedding last uh, Saturday night of a, actually a Lake Point member. And you know that profound moment of a wedding is when those back doors open and I'm standing right there next to the groom and he's sweating and those back doors open and he sees her. He sees her for the first time and his eyes get wet and his lips tremble and his smile comes across his face as she walks closer and closer. When you see Jesus, it will be like that times a million. Do you see the bookend here? It's a return to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. It's a close, intimate relationship. Only back then, they never got to see his face, but now we will. The Bible starts out with a groom and a bride in the Garden of Eden. 
The Bible ends with a groom and a bride in the new Jerusalem, a new Eden coming down out of heaven to earth. Back in the Old Testament in Exodus 33, God says, in your sinful and fallen condition, you can't see my face and live. But now in heaven, you will see his face and you will live forever. We will see God in the face of Jesus, the one who died so that you could be forgiven and free. What do you call heaven minus Jesus? The answer is hell. His presence makes all the difference. You have not lived one second of your life separated from God. And yet that's what will happen for those who are in hell. Earlier, I, I told you about my invitation to that intimate dinner at Pebble Beach with golf legend Gary Player. On my drive there from the San Jose airport, I had some phone calls to return. So I, I pulled over into a parking lot and did the right thing because I had to take some notes while I was talking. I even swung past a Wendy's and waited in a long line to get a Frosty. I enjoyed that. It was worth the wait. But when I was about 12 miles away from Pebble Beach, I got slowed down in a traffic jam. And while I was sitting there, I got a phone call from my buddy who was going to the dinner with me. I answered it. I said, big night. He said, where are you? I said, hey, I got hung up in some traffic, but no worries. I should slide in just before it starts at 6.30. He said, it started five minutes ago, Dave. The invitation said 5.30. My heart sank. Well, I said, I'll get there as soon as I can. The traffic got worse and worse and worse. I did not arrive at Pebble Beach until 6.50. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't even go in for the last 10 minutes of the meal. I meant it when I said to you earlier, it was one of the most memorable nights of my life. How do you... How do you miss out on such a great dinner after receiving such a magnanimous invitation? Well, for the very same reasons that the majority of our world will not be at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Number one, I disregarded the important details of the invitation. Number two, I had no sense of urgency. Number three, I underestimated the effect that the surroundings of the culture could have on my pursuit. And number four, I let good things crowd out the best thing. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. And we can settle for a cheap imitation in this life and miss the meal with the master in the next. And at times in our everyday lives, we've become so fixated on our frosties that we've forgotten to focus on the feast. And so before I close, here are the details to have the assurance of your place in heaven. Repent of your sin. Repent means a change of direction. Instead of living for self, now you're, you're living for Christ. Believe that he is the son of the living God and confess that truth verbally so that others know and they, they see it in your life. And some of you have made that commitment but you've balked at baptism and you just kind of put that off and have kept it at arm's length and you haven't been obedient to Christ's command to do that. Did you know this year at Lake Point, 
As of right now, today, this hour, there have been 2,141 baptisms this year at Lake Point. That's just unbelievable. Um, you can count on one hand the number of churches that have had that type of movement of God. But over 2,000 people chose to be immersed into Christ. How about you? You can, you can text the word LIFE to 20411 and, and you get signed up to do that. And I, I don't want you to leave today. You know, I said earlier, I want you to have on your heart and on your mind, I want you to have names and faces of people that you can be inviting to candlelight services, but there's something more important than, than them coming to Christ. And that's making certain that you're in a right relationship with the Lord and that you have the assurance of heaven. So don't leave this place without praying with someone, talking with someone at any of our campuses. I have to tell you, I can't wait to get to heaven. <laughs> Would you like to go to a place that God has prepared as a reward for you? A place that feels like home, that is better by far, where you can worship Jesus face to face, to thank him for what he endured on the cross so that you could have a spot in heaven? I can't wait to get to heaven and see Jesus. I, I can't wait to see my my 44-year-old neighbor, Mike, who died way too early. See our friend in ministry named Amanda. I can't wait to get to meet my grandchild who passed away during a pregnancy. To get to see one of my mentors, George. To see my long-lost friend, hilarious friend, Bob. I can't wait to see my mom. I can't wait to see my dad. And I can't wait to see you. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Are you prepared? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you, uh, you have clearly given us the invitation. And now uh, it's up to us to follow through, pay attention to those important details, to not let the surroundings throw us off, but to say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm in. I commit my life to you. I, I, I believe that Jesus is God's son and I trust him. Lord, I, I, I pray for those faces and names that have popped in our minds if we've been listening today. Lord, give us the courage, the boldness and the opportunity to invite those friends and relatives and coworkers to be a part of a candlelight service. That invitation might make a difference on where they spend eternity. Thank you so much for your indescribable gift. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.